It's good to see you today. If you've got a Bible, turn to, uh, to 1 John. Uh, today is, is going to be an interesting, interesting day. It's, a, it's one of those things that is, is it, it goes so incredibly, uh, it goes so incredibly well with, with uh, I don't know, with such a great, of where we've been going and, and the practical nature of where it is that you live. You know, and so much of our culture is almost kind of like wanting people to live in their own little fantasy world, right? And, uh, and let's make that fantasy world real. In fact, they'll even get upset with you if you say that their fantasy is not real. Who are you to say that my fantasy is not real, right? And it's an incredible thing, but you'll see what I'm talking about today. But I've been in this series, the strength, okay, think about this, the strength to overcome and you'll see even more of why I called it that. It sounds like a generic type title, but it's really not. And uh, and you'll see it. You'll see it clearly today. I, again, I'm, I've got to cut. I got to cut down on my recaps. Okay, so here it comes. Okay, so it's going to come fast. We started this series a few weeks ago with a guy by the name of Solomon, who attempted to fill his life with the things. Um, the empty place in here that all of us have with things and stuff. And he was talented enough and wealthy enough and powerful enough to basically, as the scripture says, do anything that his heart desired. And he began filling it with all this stuff. And it's all listed there. The book of Ecclesiastes is a record of him, of what he tried and the things that he did. And the problem with that, when you start throwing that stuff into your life, is that, is that the is that the appetite only grows larger and, and, the, and the ability to truly quench the thirst that lives within gets, it gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you become this big need with nothing to fill it. Why? Because there's nothing in this world that's going to fill it. And so we talked about that. And, and we talked about how those things get their hooks in us and different things like that. And then Jesus... Jesus had shared a road. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is what it's, what it's known as, but it, some people call it the Beatitudes, whatever you want to call it, but it's an interesting thing to look at. It's an interesting thing to learn. And so we start, started this a few weeks ago, and the first one was blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Now, what does poor in spirit mean, right? Poor, to poor, the word poor, poor there is bankrupt. So blessed are those who are bankrupt in and of themselves, morally bankrupt, right? And it sounds kind of strange, but the picture of what the scripture teaches us is that, is that all of us are bankrupt, and therefore the blessing comes, the blessed, right, comes from being able to see it. Being able to see it. Because if you ever see it, then, then it'll drive you to who he is. In fact, it's a painful beginning, but it, it leads to the freedom you're looking for. It's an amazing thing, an absolutely amazing thing. And blessed are those who mourn, that is, there's a repentant heart, there's a desire, God, to be who you've called me to be. We talked about David, some of the bad mistakes he made. I want to share with you that because in case some of you weren't there. But, but David, who was, who was a guy who loved God, but really started making some bad decisions. And, and you know, eventually it was adultery, Right. And then eventually an accessory basically to, 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 to murder. And, and he, just fell, he just fell into some real... And obviously, obviously he lived in his own little fantasy world that that was okay. 
just like people do today, because he was a king, right? And he lived in his own little fantasy world that since he was king, he could do anything he wanted to do, because that's how all the other kings did, right? And that there was, there was you know, since, I mean, you know, I am, you know, I don't have to follow the law because I am the law. And, and he really, he really, really messed up. And God sent a guy along. Uh, his name was Nathan. I tell you, Nathan had to have had guts. But Nathan went in and told him a story about something that happened in his kingdom. And he was upset, right? Upset. And then, and then of course, Nathan looked and said, you know, David, you're the guy. And when it finally crushed in on, to, on him and he finally saw, right, it broke his heart. So then blessed are those who mourn, right? And then last week is blessed are the meek. And meek is not weakness, it's power under control. So basically you come, the first three are, I won't call them theoretical, but, but they're basically, they, they're not as tangible, at least not on action end, but they are real. Therefore, the meek is, Lord, I'm yours. I'm turning my life and my will over to you. And, and you can say, well, you know, Jeff, you can say that. Well, well, yeah, you can say that. If, it, if it's not what you mean, then it doesn't matter anyway. But the rest of it depends on, Lord, it's yours, right? Lord, it's yours. And so, I don't know, we, we've walked through, but today is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? Today is, is, is the next is the next step. I'm, I call this the beginnings of change and, uh, because this is where it begins. And, uh, and when you become his, things are different if you are his. And then, and then these things, because he, is, he has called you. He's called you to live in freedom. You know, when you understand your own bankruptcy and then when you go to him, when he lets you see it, and you go to him, and you put your faith and trust in him. Guys, I want you to know that faith and trust and truth are real words, right? You live in a culture, I know you do. You live in a culture where, where they try to tell you that those aren't just real words, those are just figments of your imagination. Kind of like, you know, well, truth is there's no such thing as truth. That's just not the truth. <laughs> so when you think on that, Right? Truth and faith, those are real words. When you have a relationship with someone that you can trust, that's a real word. Faith that you can trust, those are real words. Real everyday words. Okay? And you're going to see it come really plain today. I won't say today is as hard-hitting, but if you haven't been here long with us, it, 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 it may seem a little strange to you. I, I, can't, I can't, it's so hard for me. I want to do so much recap because I know some of you missed last week or two weeks ago, and I just don't want you to miss it, right? But I, if, you have been, if you've missed any, you're going to have to go back and listen to some of them because these are stair steps. One builds on the other, and you'll see how and what today means. Today we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in art. Now, we're going to... We're skip, we skipped a couple. We're coming back to them, I promise. But I wanted to start with, I wanted to, when before the first three, I wanted, to, I wanted to get back to this one because I think foundationally it has a lot for you to understand, for me to understand. So it says, blessed are the pure in heart. It says, for they shall see God. What does Jesus even mean by that, 
right? And where is it in, in connection with poor in spirit and mourn and meek, turning my life and will over to him? Well, I believe it's the next step because it's not only who he's made you to be, but it's who, it's who he's called you to be. And as you see these things, it'll make sense. So let's jump right into it. Number one is what I'm going to call the meaning of pure in heart. Now stay with me here at the beginning because this has great impact at the end if you learn these things. All right. First of all, the meaning, uh, for the meaning of, of pure in heart. Well, let's talk about it. All right. Well, let's, what, is, what does the word pure mean? What does the word heart mean? Well, the word heart is the center of who you are. It's, you know, it's not the, the thump, thump thing, right? When you say that, that, that she loved him with all of her heart, you don't even think about how can you love somebody with that organ that lives in the middle of your chest, right? No, we understand heart to mean to be who you really are. You strip all the way, all of the veneer, all of the stuff that's out front, all the cool, all the everything, who are you? That person. And that, by the way, is what God cares about the most. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. So the heart is who you are. Not who you try to portray that you are, but who you really are. Therefore, the pure in heart, therefore, is someone who is pure in who they really are. Well, what does the word pure mean? Well, uh, there's a lot of interesting you know, thoughts, but I found out illustrations better than definitions here. Right? So if I have a bottle, okay, if I have a bottle of, of pure iodine, okay, it says pure iodine on it. Now, now this is going to be earth shattering, all right? So when it says pure iodine, that means that there's nothing else in the bottle but, boy, you are great. Is that not earth shattering, right? Well, why is that a big deal? Well, because that's what the word pure means. It means the absence of anything else. So what does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, basically what it means is, is no sin. And you say, well, Jeff, nobody's like that. And I agree. Why? Because we're all bankrupt. But here's the picture. Here's the picture of it. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Well, I think it's two things. Uh, you'll see what I mean by that. And that's why I had you turn to the First John passage. All right, First John chapter 3. And you're going to have to walk with me here. You're going to have to listen here because these are going to share a lot of things. So what, is it, what does it mean to be pure, be pure in heart? right? Because it's what he's called you to be. And, um, and obviously most of what it means or a good chunk of what it means is that you've been made pure. Now keep listening here. The scriptures, this is what the scriptures teach. There is nobody, there is nobody because we're all poor in spirit, right? The, only the ones who see that they are, God can really work, right? And so what happens is when you see who you really are, then it drives you to who Christ is. Because the book of Romans, I know in other places, but especially in the book of Romans, because Paul really wanted people to understand this, because it's that important. But it's found in Romans, and, and, and Paul made this statement, he called it imputed righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that Jesus took your unrighteousness, right, to the cross, paid for it, and he gave you his righteousness. Therefore, the scriptures teach that if you're in Christ, then you stand in him complete, whole, pure. 
So therefore, a, a lot of what means to be pure in heart, you know, as the scripture says, as though your sins be scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You know, all the metaphors that are in the scriptures that talk about that. And you're made that way because of what Christ, that's why they call it grace. It's a gift you don't deserve. It's what Christ did for you. But there's more to it than that. And I, I don't know that I would know that if it wasn't for 1 John chapter 3. Okay? Take a look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. We'll start in verse 1. It says, see. See. Be able to see it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. I like the way the NV, NIV used to say it, has lavished on us, right? That we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Okay, see what kind of love the Father. Now, I have found personally, okay, I have found personally that those who can see who they are, right, bankrupt, and then they can see how much God loved them to do what he did. It gives them a brand new perspective on, on God's love for them. So many just don't see it as being that big a deal because they can't see themselves. When you see who you were and then you see what God has made you, that is love like you've never experienced or ever, ever understood. Amazing grace, but also amazing love that's connected to it. But I found most people can't see it because they can't, they've never been able to see themselves and then they've never been able to see what God has done for them. So first of all, it's see, see what manner of love that God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, we become his because we've been made that way by what Christ did for us at the cross, right? right? And, so, and so we are. And then this next part, I'm not, I don't have time to explain, but that's part of what John is saying here in this passage. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And, and that's true. You know, someone who lives a desire, a desire to live this way, pure, right? The world doesn't recognize you. In fact, the world will even turn on you. Let me give you an illustration. You know, God bless him, but you got to like, you got to like uh, Tim Tebow. But listen to me. He is the most beat on, persecuted guy. And why is he beat on and persecuted? He's just, just trying to live right. Right? If he was a maniac, a sex maniac, and a, and a drunk and a druggie, they would all say he's awesome. Isn't that incredible? And yet, why is he beat on us? Because the world doesn't understand him. He has a desire to be who God's called him to be. And that's pure in heart. Interesting. So don't expect the world to applaud. Right? Our world does not understand. That's what that verse means. Let's go to the next one. So beloved, we're God's children now. The reason he's telling you that is it's not something that's going to happen. It's something that has happened if you're his. That's why he uses the word now. You are now God's children, beloved. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Okay, so there's something that is more than just what Christ did for us, this pure in heart thing. There's more to it than just 
standing in him and waiting for the time when that happens. So he says, beloved, we are, but, 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 but you're his now. Even though what you are going to be hasn't happened totally yet, but what you are is right now, okay? Beloved, we are God's children, okay? And what we, and, and what we will be has not yet, uh, been, not yet appeared and not yet been made known, okay? But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him. So blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Now you'll see it all come together here in just a second. I just wanted you to see this. So there's something that's coming. But in the meantime, those that are his, okay, they're going to have some certain characteristics and it has something to do with being wrapped up in this pure in heart thing. So it goes on to say, because we shall see him as he really is. Now, look at verse three. It says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself because he's pure. Okay, so one day we're gonna be like him, pure, because we're gonna see him as he really is. But in the meantime, he tells us that everyone who is a true believer in Christ will have a passion for that. Purifying a passion, a passion to be who God's called you to be, and he is pure. So what does it mean pure? Obviously, the word pure is just another word for holy. I hate even saying that because so many times the word holy is it, people don't even understand what that means, but it is the adjective that is most referred to of God in all the Bible, holy. Holy Spirit, right? God is holy, 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 all the rest. But it's just a derivative of the word pure. So therefore, everyone, can you, can you leave that one up there? Everyone who has this hope in him has a direction that heads towards that. So what does it mean to purify uh, catharsis is the word there. Um, it means to cleanse, right? And it becomes a process in the life of a believer as God is at work in you to teach you to live for him. But it goes beyond that. If, if he has set you free, all things are lawful for me, Paul said, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but I'm not going to be mastered by any. Why? Because he set you free. And why did he set you free for you to jump back into slavery? The, the illustration I told you a few weeks ago about the dog chained in the backyard and been chained back there for years. And all it had was this little radius of a circle, right, that it ran in. And you go out and you take the chain off the dog, and yet the dog never leaves the circle, because while he's free, he hasn't learned to live that way. So this is the process to purify. The things that get into my life that I know it's not who God wants are the things that I want to get out. So it becomes a process in every believer's life. If you're truly his. If you're truly his. And you know, that is an amazing thought to think about. If you're truly his. So it becomes, it becomes a direction then. It becomes a direction in the life of a believer to say, Lord, 
I want to know. God, I want to know who you've called me to be. And you'll see as we walk through this, this is, this is a powerful thought because what he has promised is the, strength, is the strength to overcome the things in your life that you always depended on, right? And so you'll see then, you'll see then the strength, the strength to overcome. So you'll, you'll see what I mean in just a minute because we're gonna, we're gonna keep walking through this and this has, uh, this has incredible things to it. So let's take a look at it in num, uh, number two. Uh, why is being pure in heart uh, important, okay? Why uh, is being pure in heart, uh, uh, why is it important? Well, let's jump on down to it. Because number one, uh, number one, the thought here is, is that it, guilt destroys our confidence. What do you mean by guilt? Well, guilt is an incredible thing. Um, guilt are the things that we carry around that need forgiveness. And here's the, here's the incredible part. I'll get, I'll get to this in a minute. But, but guilt's the thing that, that haunts and, and, and follows around people. It can lie dormant, but then when it comes back, it can have huge impact on you and slow, and slow you down according to who he's called to be. And then I'm just talking about one little area. I thought I'd jump on this guilt just for just a second. Because when someone is forgiveness... When somebody is forgiven, there is no more guilt. And yet, why do we keep carrying it with us? Right? And a lot of times people say, well, I don't have any guilt. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed. Let me tell you a story. I, uh, I love, uh, uh, you know, this may sound really weird uh, and strange, but, you know, I, you know, I'm strange anyway, so... But I, there's a, there was an author, an English author. He was a real prankster. He's a, he's an interesting guy, but his name is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, right? He wrote all the Sherlock Holmes things, all right? And, um, I, I love reading his stuff because, you know, most of his stories were only about 10 to 15 pages long and that matches my attention span, <laughs> Right? I don't have to read 300 pages to figure out what happened. I can read 15. Now we're talking, all right? Sir Arthur had it going on. So, but he was, a, he was majorly intelligent. He had, a med, he had a medical degree, Cambridge, and, um, and just was a smart, very prominent guy. But he, he was a prankster, right? He was very much a prankster. And five prominent men in London, he pulled a prank on all five of them. And here's what he did. He sent them a note and it wasn't signed. And this is what the note said. Okay, so this is back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, right? So it's a different kind of a, a world. But this is what the note said. All is found out, flee at once. <laughs> That's all it said. And within 24 hours, all five had, let the, all five had left the country. Right, we laugh because it's funny. But they knew with all in their life they were guilty. And, but every one of them was probably guilty of something else. But all that did was, oh, and they probably grabbed everything they have and they ran out. You know, guilt is something that just, it just destroys who we are in him. 
But if somebody can ever truly understand his forgiveness and live in the freedom that comes with that, I can't tell you how freeing that really is. Are you starting to hear me? Because see, these, these words are almost like churchy words that sometimes like, yeah, 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 you're a pastor, you always talk about that. But when you see them lived out in everyday life the way you live, then they start to have real meaning, right? Guilt destroys your, your confidence. And again, guys, I'm talking about what's really you, not the persona you put up for everybody to see. What was Jesus's, who did Jesus had his, his most criticism for? It was a group called the Pharisees. Now on the outside, they lived very pure lives, right? But God didn't ask you to live pure on the outside. That's why it doesn't say, you know, blessed are those who are pure in the way they live. Why? Because the Pharisees were pure in the way they lived. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. In other words, they were painted real pretty on the outside, but inside they were dead. Dead men's bones, I think is what Jesus said. So, so God's not near as concerned about what you portray yourself to be as he is about who you really are. When you're off the stage, when, you're, when you stop trying to be who the people you want to fit in with want you to be, and the person is left, that's who God cares about the most. Right? That's why he talks about heart. Right? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Guys, our world is all about living in a fantasy. We've got companies. We've got a whole industry, multi-billion dollar industry. And you know the only thing they do is to try to make you look good. Public relations, image consultant, whatever you want to call it. But basically what you're saying is, I don't really care what I am as long as I look this way. But see, God doesn't care how you look. He looks through all of that garbage and sees who you are. Therefore, the ones that are truly his are going to care most about who they are and not what others see them as. This is powerful stuff when you begin to break it down. Because most of all of what we do, what we drive, the things that we wear, has so much impact on what everybody thinks. How does it appear? What does it look like? And I'm not saying all that's all bad, I'm not. But what I am saying is, is that if you wanna be his, your desire is gonna be who you are. But see, nobody likes to really work on who you are because nobody sees who you are. And if they do see who you are, it takes a long time for them to see it. You see, I've always found, I found in being a parent, I cared a whole lot more about my kids' attitude than I did their actions. Because I found out that if your heart is right, it's gonna spill over into your actions. Guys, if you're trying to parent by correcting actions, you are way too late. By the time they get to action, that's just the fruit of who they really are. Am I here? Are you hearing me? So the best time, the best time is when it's still a heart issue, an attitude, 
An attitude kind of shares with you real quick, right? And then the action's coming. It's just a matter of time. Who you are in here. Oh, I just think that's incredible. I think that's powerful to think about. So that those who have this hope in them, like it says in 1 John, they're the ones that will purify themselves. That is, they're the ones that will want to get who they are in line with who God is as opposed to just what they do. Interesting. Because guilt will destroy your confidence. Number two, it'll damage your relationships around you. It's incredible to me that when you lose those things, who you are, because when you, you know, most people, most people are just longing to have a relationship with someone on a, on a, on a, on a deeper level. But if you're scared to death, if they find out who you are, you are only going to have surface relationships. Are you hearing me? But those who are confident in who they are in him, you know, this is who God's called me to be. It really, your opinion really doesn't count, you know? A lot of people like to say they're like, well, I don't care what people think. I know what you're saying. And if you had to say it, it's probably not true. Sorry, I had to say it, right? But it damages our relationship. Number three, it keeps us stuck in the past. Guys, we hear catchphrases. You hear me say them up here. Oh, I, just, I just, I have to cut it loose. I just had to make a fresh start. I just had to put it behind me and get on with my life. And anytime you hear those things, that is just showing you that people have not forgot it and they've definitely not moved on. Yet they long to. Why? Because they know it's enslaving them. They know it's like being tied to the dock and keeping giving it more gas. They know, we know. And guys, this guilt is not only necessarily things you've done wrong, but it's things that have been done wrong to you. And yet these things hold on to us, and we wonder, how do you get free from them? This is what we're talking about. If he truly has called you to in freedom, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed, right? It was for freedom that Christ set you free then his will for your life is to leave the circle. Are y'all catching on the metaphor? The dog, the chain, okay. Oh, you're going, huh? Okay, live in freedom. He doesn't want you chained to it. Interesting though. I don't believe that. Well, then just keep doing your plan, but I promise you, you'll get fed up at one point in your life to the point to where he's, I've got, there's got to be something different than this. I tell you what, those things will keep you stuck in your past when God has called you to live in freedom and will not let it stop in your life until you learn to live in freedom. Interesting. That's that process he's talking about. Anyone who has this hope in them purifies himself because that's what he is. Amazing. Incredible, actually, when you begin to see it. Number three, number three, is how do you get there? Right? How do you get there? And it's not easy, folks. That's why more people don't do it. It is not easy. It's awesome, but it is not easy. Number one, you gotta be able to take a good look at yourself. I found most people don't want to do this. 
because they don't think there's anything that can be done about it. So why am I going to dwell on that? So they try to live, you know, either, either in a fantasy world, like, oh, it doesn't bother me anymore, or they try to do something else. They try to keep themselves so busy that, that they can crash at the end of the day and don't have to think about it or whatever they try to do. But if you can ever take a good, honest look at yourself, that's where it all begins. And this, become, this comes after you become a believer. Therefore, you have a desire to do this. You want things to be different. When people ask me the question, and I love honesty, they ask me the question, Jeff, where do I, where do I get in the freedom line? Where do I get in the come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest? Where is that line formed? Here it is. It's just not a fun line. That's why more people don't get in it. So Jeff, what are we talking about? Well, the Bible talks quite, about, quite much about this, taking an honest look at yourself. You know, I have found, and these things are going to maybe be hard to hear, but I have found the most judgmental people in this world today are the ones who can't see themselves or won't look at themselves. Because it's real easy to be judgmental of everybody else if you can't see yourself. But if you've ever been able to see who you really are, poor in spirit, you wouldn't be near as judgmental of everybody else. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense? Seriously, does it make sense? So I have found then, I have found that sometimes the most, that's why the Pharisees were so judgmental of everybody. Because they were blind to themselves. And it's real easy to kind of put yourself in God's place and say that was terrible. David did that, right? He was absolutely blind. So I'm not saying it doesn't happen to, to a lot of us. But if you ask God to open your eyes and let you see yourself, I tell you, it may be tough at first. But my goodness, it leads to incredible things. Let me give you a couple of verses. Lamentations 3.40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. My favorite one. I doubt there's very many weeks that go by that I don't say this. In fact, I almost want to say, think that David shared this as a prayer. You know, when David screwed up so bad in his life, and, but he had a desire for God. Scripture says is that he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. Therefore, this is the direction he wanted to go, but he messed up. He lied to himself. He got involved in a lot of things he shouldn't, and he messed up. And on the other end, when God opened his eyes, when he said, when he saw it, Psalm 51 shows you how painful the process was, but it was an incredible process. But I think David, let's just walk through this. I use this personally often because how in the world can I tell you about this if it's something I'm not going to do? But I'm here to tell you, I don't care how good of a person you are, you'll be amazed when you start saying, God, I want to know. When you stop judging yourself against everybody else and you start looking to him, say, Lord, I want to know what you think, not what everybody else thinks. And then you start getting on this path of whoever has this hope in themselves will purify themselves just as he is pure, not comparing yourself to everybody else, but Lord, I want to know. That's why in Psalm 139, what does David say? David says, search me, O God. Now that is one dangerous prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Okay, you got a God who knows everything anyway. So David is not saying, God, I need you to take a look. God already knew. What David is saying is, I want to know. And that's a, dangerous, that's a dangerous prayer. 
But it's one that God always answers. <laughs> God never answers my prayer. Well, I'll answer this one. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because it's what he wants for you. It's the one thing, whatever it is, it has its hooks in you that you don't want to deal with and keeps you from being who he's called you to be and from the freedom he's already given you. Isn't that incredible to think about? Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my thoughts. So God, it's not just about the things that I do, but God, God I don't think he wants to ever go back to where he was and some of the mistakes he made. And he just basically said, God, I want to know. I don't want to go blindly into those things like I did before. So search me, oh God, know my heart, search and try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any wicked. Translation here is grievous. Wicked is sinful, however you want to put it. But see if there's any wicked, sinful way in me. I want to know. Not just the actions, not just what anybody knows about. God, I want to know. I want to know. And when God begins to show you these things, and as you walk this road, that's why you become less judgmental of others, because he'll show you things about yourself you don't even want to know. You know, or you can go into like most people do, well, God, I mean, you know, have you looked at the world today? At least I'm not doing those things. You know, when we start trying to justify or like David did, you know, well, God, have you seen the other kings? They've done a lot worse than I'm, you know. It's those things that keep you exactly where you are and keep you chained in the backyard right? If you want to be his. Interesting. God, see if there's anything there that's keeping me from being who you've called me to be. And then he says, he says something curious. He says, and lead me into the way everlasting. You know, that's a lot of times people just say, okay, lead me in the way everlasting. Okay, great. And they move on. But what does that mean? What does it mean to lead me in the way everlasting? And here it is, or at least most of what I think it is. It's like a symbol. It just keeps, so I had to stop it. All right. So lead me into the way everlasting. In other words, God lead me in a direction to where I'm concerned about the things that really matter. Because most of the time, I think if you're a believer here today, when you get to heaven, I think one thing you will say to yourself, I think all of us will say to ourselves, is that why in the world did I consume myself and get so worked up about things that just don't matter? I mean, I got all bent out of shape and I made the minor things that don't matter, the temporary things, the things that are all gonna burn up in the end. So what is David saying? Lord, keep my mind focused on the things that really matter, the way of the everlasting, that is, the things that I long for. Why? Because God says that you put eternity in my heart. Therefore, only those things are truly going to fill that emptiness. So Lord, keep me trained on that. That's pretty amazing when you think of it. Search me, search me. Dangerous prayer. Dangerous prayer, but one of the most impacting of all of them, right? You know, because of the things that enslave us, a lot of times we don't even realize it. You know what secular psychiatrists have said? I want you to think about this. It's not Christian, right? Secular psychiatrists. Because, I don't know if, you know, if, you're, if you're a counselor here today, but God bless you if you're trying to help people solve their problems without God. 
man, how does that work, right? I mean, I'm being honest. How, how does that work? But they're frustrated. And um, psychiatrists made this statement. Secular ones, not Christian ones. This is what they said. They believed that 70% 70 70 of people who are in the hospital could leave today if they could resolve their own guilt. I find that amazing. I don't know if it's true or not, but that's their opinion. Interesting. Because how do you solve your own guilt without forgiveness? And how do you live in freedom until you accept that forgiveness? Right? And see, that's what's all waiting for you. But the first step is taking an honest look, right? Search me, oh God. If you haven't done it in a while, you may want to get out a pad and a pencil. You'll be amazed what he starts unloading, you know? But the question is, do you want to know? Oh, it's an amazing thing to think about. Number two. Number one is take an honest look at yourself. Number two is accept responsibility for your own faults. Okay? Again, you run into very few people who come clean. It's always somebody else's fault. Or even if I did something wrong, if they hadn't done what they did, then I never would have done that. Therefore, it's not all my fault. It's almost like, but I have found that it just seems like it wouldn't be, but I have found the quickest way to freedom is just to say, I was wrong. I definitely know it's the quickest way to end an argument. Right? Okay, yeah, I'm, I, I'm wrong there. What are you gonna keep arguing? What are you gonna keep arguing about after that when somebody tells you that, right? But here's the picture, guys. I want you to think about this. I have found the people who live in the most freedom are those who have the ability to accept when they're wrong and own it. Therefore, God, search me. I want to know. Now, you may argue with him there for a little bit. Lord, I can't really see where that's a big deal. But then after a while, it's like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong there. I have found that you never really get through or buy anything until you understand it until you've accepted responsibility for it. It's incredible, isn't it? Number three, you ask God for forgiveness. You say, well, Jeff, I thought you said that, that Christ is already forgiven. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you haven't been forgiven. What I'm saying is you need to know the most is that you are forgiven so you can live in that freedom, right? Well, I just always just feel so guilty. And I know this is a tough one. Well, you are guilty. Don't ever say, well, I just feel so guilty. Well, you are. But, but when you see it, forgiveness is, forgiveness is incredible, guys. When you think about the name forgiveness, the word forgiveness is an accounting word. Therefore, when someone owes a whole lot of money and their debt has been forgiven, that means it's been paid for by the person that they were indebted to. Therefore, you, you have no responsibility in that if you truly understand the word forgiven. Therefore, the greatest thing you can do is to live, for God's forgiveness for you, is to live in the freedom that he has already forgiven you. And I tell you what, there is no softer pillow at night. None when you can truly live in the freedom of that. 
And then when you learn to live in his forgiveness for you, then it gives you the ability to forgive others. Even if some of the things done to you were terrible. And yet the only way to get rid of them is to chop them loose, forgive them and say, Lord, I forgive them like you forgave me. And you will never understand forgiveness until in the freedom that comes in that until you've walked it. It's an incredible thing. It's the exact opposite of, of the way you feel and the exact opposite of the way the world tells you y'all to do it, right? Unbelievable. Unbelievable to think of it. So as I close today, oh, number four, I almost didn't throw this one in there because this one's a tough one. The scripture also, but I always like to give you everything the scripture says. The scripture says, confess your faults to one another so that you may be healed. But let me tell you something on that one. Be real careful who you tell. This is not for everybody. It ought to be somebody that's trustworthy and has a track record of trustworthiness that you share it with. But if you find somebody like that, it tr that can truly have a great, great impact also. But remember, as I close, blessed, why does it say blessed are the pure in heart? Because number one, they'll see God, right? Why? Because of the difference he's made in their lives, but also because of this direction that he's caused us to be and to go in. Jeff, why? Why when we become believers, does, is there still this process? You know, I, I ask myself those type of questions. And the, the thought I've been able to come up with, because I really believe that the greatest testimony that you can have in this world is living in freedom. It was the biggest impact that I had on all my old buddies. I used to run with them. I didn't become a believer until I was 21. I used to run with them. I did all the things that they did. But one of the biggest testimony that in their lives were, golly, Jeff, what's, <laughs> what's happened to you? Right? I didn't need all the old garbage anymore. And they couldn't believe that I didn't need that. Or I wasn't hung up on those old things we used to be hung up on. Freedom. Freedom. I'm here to tell you it's what you're looking for. It's what you're longing for in here. We're going to continue. We're going to continue this through the weeks. Hey, guys, you come on up wherever y'all are. They got, a, they got a song they want to, to play for you as they leave. But as we leave. But I, this is the passion that I have. First of all, y'all can go ahead and play and want to get started. First of all, I've, I've got two passions in doing what I do. Number one is I, I love to hear when people put their faith and trust in Christ for the first time. You see, you can't start this direction until you become his. Remember what it said in 1 John? And now we are, oh, what matter of love that God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that's what we are now, beloved, we are God's children now. So you can't start the process until you start with that. And so as you think on those things, if there's never been a time in your life, guys, this is why, this is why I've never been a big denominational guy. I know that we're Baptist church, but I've, I've told people, I said, if they ever disagree with what the scripture says, then, then we're not going to be Baptist anymore. I mean, does that make sense to you? Why, why are you going to, why, we, I don't care what people think. 
That's just kept me in slavery for too long, right? I care. What does the scripture say? Because he's, he's the one that can set me free, not a church or a denomination. So this message is not about denominations or churches. This is his message to you. He knows. He knows. So there's never been that time. There's always opportunity if you want to hear what it means to put your faith and trust in him. That was kind of last week. Lord, I'm going to turn my life and will over to you. But number two, the second one is to believers, right? Do you have the courage, right? Do you have the courage to pray, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me, because I promise you, I promise you he'll tell you. But it's a courageous thing. It's, It's like one of those prayers. Lord, I want to learn to trust you more. They're dangerous prayers. Because how's God going to teach you to trust him? By putting you in precarious situations where you have to trust him. So it's a dangerous prayer. But this is also one. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. So he's going to let you know. Why? Because he wants you to live in freedom. And this is the road to it. Until you know you're enslaved, you'll never want freedom. That's why blessed are the poor in spirit, that is those who can see it, is so incredible. These all stack on top of one another as we see, as we keep going through this. All right? What an incredible thing to think of.